We're talking hard drives with Kevin Schoonover next on Reset. Yeah. This is Reset. It can be found at reset.fm. I'll be talking about anything that plugs in or takes batteries. Mostly home automation, networking, home storage, and technology in general. Reset was inspired by a bent paperclip that has been sitting on my desk for years. Reminds me to be adventurous and have fun. Because there's usually a reset button. Let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to Reset. I'm your host, David McCabe. Uh, find this interview, all that good stuff at reset.fm. And don't forget those forums, homeservershow.com slash forums, or just homeservershow, or resetforums.com. Just, I got tons of ways to get to it. So you, everybody's in for a treat this week, because I've got uh, a hard drive expert. So if you need a little, like, brushing up before this episode, or maybe even after there is a post out there on the forums about Western Digital and their two to four and even six terabyte drives being a sort of different technology than their other ones. It kind of pulled some shenanigans. And um, Kevin Schoonover, uh, Schoondoggy in the forums, corrected, he, uh, he brought this to light. And it really kind of started a little murmur out there. And uh, so there's a lot of links and there's a lot of things to talk about. And then we just, we get into backups and oh, all kinds of fun stuff. So if you're if you're a storage fan, if uh, you're still a, a fan of Home Server Show podcast, then you're going to love this episode. This was a complete blast to record. And Schoonover is, uh, he's an admin, he's a mod out there in the forums and you can find him. You can find him out there all the time answering questions. He's a big microserver guy, big storage guy, big IT guy in general. And uh, so I thank him for coming out and talking with us. And I really don't want to talk too long here. I want to just kind of jump right in. I do ask him how things are going up there in, a, you know, due to this uh, COVID thing going on. But uh, great interview, and I want to start it now. Do not delay. Thanks for listening to Reset and uh, come back to the forums and let's let's start some conversations after you hear this podcast. So we'll see you at the end. Hey, Kevin, thanks for coming back on Reset. Hey, good to see you. So, I mean, I have to ask you, you know, we're knee deep into this COVID thing right now and things are starting to kind of, I'm not going to say they're opening up, but as we record this, states are really talking about opening up. Mm-hmm. And I just want to maybe get your... You know, what's life like in Minnesota? That's where you're at, right? You're at. Oh, things are good. Um, I think uh, we just had an announcement from the governor yesterday that uh, we're expanding uh, stay at home for a couple more weeks. I think it's May 18th was the number that date that was given. Nice. Um, but we've opened up a few things. Uh, you know, uh, golf courses are open. Uh, and, and, of course, they're opening up things that they can still and you know, I don't want to use the term enforce, but encourage social distancing. So, yeah. 
uh, golfing, no golf carts. So you're not riding around with somebody you're, you know, and so walking's healthy. Um, but the golf courses are pretty full. Um, I, they're allowing some more stores to open. So, you know, like the, a place like the mall of America has been pretty well shut down. Um, their stores are starting to, I think next week they will be offering curbside pickup. So you'll be able to order online from some of the bigger stores there and they'll bring it out to your car. Uh, so we're starting to see more of that. I know the restaurants are, you know, we're, I'm, I'm trying to do my share. I, I'd say this COVID thing has been very expensive for me because uh, I'm home all day. So I don't, I don't really want to cook too much. So we've been doing uh pickup curbside pickup stuff and trying to support the local businesses that way. But, uh, yeah, from a numbers point of view, if you look at the charts, uh, Minnesota's got one of the lowest uh, rates per capita of uh, infections or deaths. So, yeah, I think Minnesota's done a good job so far with the the stay at home aspect of it. And I think, like with anything else, now that we're coming out of it, um, it it'll be uh, important to monitor. Uh, you know, using masks and uh, monitor to make sure we don't have a a, a spike or a backlash out of it. And if, if we look at the countries that have done really well at the phase we're at right now, it's where we start to see ramped up testing. So now I think as we start to see more people go back to work, um, if we can, you know, get on the masks and, uh, focus on testing, I think we should be in pretty good shape. Yeah. Yeah. The testing now, uh, testing is, I'm not going to say it's unfortunate, but it does, it does shoot your numbers up the more you can test. And we're seeing that. Yep here in central Indiana quite a bit. Um, the Indianapolis mayor extended uh, Marion County until, I think, May 15th, which I, which I think is wise. I keep telling people that talking in my circles that I think we need two more weeks of mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. I mean, really hunkering down. I know yep. it's, it's right now I'm looking outside, it's, it's rained for two days straight, and it's absolutely beautiful right now. And I know <laughs> people want to go to the parks and, you know, want to get, jump on a plane and go to Disney World. I know. Oh, yeah. We all want to do that. But I think, I, I hope that those states that are declaring like, hey, we're going to open back up, I hope they do it smartly. And mm-hmm. it doesn't reflare because that's just going to be bad for everybody else. So no, that's that, that, that's it. And I think, uh, you know, so I, I'm in a being in the Twin Cities and I think everybody probably has situations like this is I grew up in western Wisconsin, fairly rural area. And when you start to look at some of the numbers, um, you know, the folks who are back there are concerned about why do they need to shelter? There's there's nobody in their ICUs. There's almost no cases of it because the population is so low and not very dense. But like I was having a discussion with a family member about that, the big thing about western Wisconsin is um, northern Wisconsin is plumb full of cabins. And the people who own those cabins come from Chicago, Milwaukee, and the Twin Cities. So it's just part of the mathematical side of this is you might not have it where you are. But under normal traffic, you would have people coming there who are coming from areas that are much more prevalent with having the infection or having the the virus. Uh, and that and that's what the concern is. There's a couple of towns in northern Wisconsin who are very heavily um, 
a lot of the cabins there are owned by people out of Chicago. And that town just put out a message of stay home. <laughs> I know it's, I, yep. I, I know it's, I know it's your cabin. We appreciate your business uh, throughout the summer. It's a tourist industry, keeps our town alive, but please stay home. And, and you think about when people go to their cabins, it's you have restaurants you stop at along the way. You stop at that little meat shop where you get the really good bratwurst. You stop here. You stop there. Uh, and that's how this stuff spreads. So it's, it, it's unfortunate. But uh, like you say, a couple more weeks, I think we'll be in better shape. And, and the testing aspect now, I think, is more of a flip-flop. Right now, we're all staying home so we don't get it or give it to others. Um, other countries that have done well with this, at this point, they start testing. So when they find somebody with it, they can put them in quarantine versus everybody in quarantine. Yeah. So I, I think it, like you say, in a couple of weeks, I think we'll be in a good position to uh, make the flip, so to say. I certainly hope so. And I hate, I, I know some people are maybe tired of talking about it, but I, I generally like to talk with friends and family. And I had a 30 minute conversation on the phone yesterday. You know, that little device you hold to your ear, you can talk to another person <laughs> instead of, you know, texting and Facebooking and, and whatever, yep. Zooming. And uh, it was kind of refreshing. I was like, I never talked to that person over like five minutes, right? Yep. You get in, you get done. Okay, see you later. And, and this person is probably a five-minute drive for me. <laughs> but we had a 30-minute conversation, so. Okay. Thanks everybody for uh, for struggling with my uh, my COVID need to chat with people. And I say every podcast, Kevin. I'm just I thank <laughs> my lucky stars that I left Las Vegas without some type of you know hacking up a lung. I do not oh, yeah. know how the country dodged that bullet. I we were we had to have been one or two weeks away, you know, difference mm -hmm. in. I mean, I think absolutely bringing this country to its knees if uh, if Las Vegas would have been infected. Oh, yeah. You look at uh, you look at how quickly. So in in my end of the technology business, uh, you know, Dell Technology World canceled obviously you know all, all the big events like that have gone virtual mm -hmm. and you know i really miss that because of the interaction with people i know from the industry but you you look at how there, there are so many examples over history of um how having big events like that is what really causes it to spread um i'm going to screw up the the timing on this but i want to say it was the spanish flu uh uh, late uh, early 1900s they have an example of i believe it was people they were warning people about the even at that point in time i think it's 1918 uh and i want to say it was philadelphia went ahead with a, a big parade yeah and yeah. saint and, and saint louis decided not to and they used those points as you know two similar sized cities at the time and the the infection rate in philadelphia went off the rails mm -hmm. and st louis fared much much better yeah. so it, you know it's that whole event you know it, it, it's all about population density you know have it, you know and unfortunately the social distancing aspect is the is the way to keep it low yeah, and that is unfortunate for those for those big cities. So everybody, just two more weeks. Even if even if your mayor says it's fine to go to Lowe's, do not go to Lowe's. 
I, I want to so bad, Kevin. I mean, I've been doing curbside. I've done a curbside at Home Depot. Yep. I yep. did a curbside at Lowe's twice. And my second time I went was a Monday at like 4 p.m. And that store, had, I've never seen so many people in my life in a Lowe's home improvement store. Oh. Packed. No, we've uh, they've been loaded here, uh, Lowe's, uh, Home Depot, and then from your time in southern Wisconsin, you you probably had uh, a Menards, Menards store. Yes. So the Menards parking lot has been full ever since this hit because a lot of people are home. It's home improvement projects. Uh, Menards has taken some grief from people because they had to put signs on the door saying, "One one person per cart." Please leave your family home. Please leave your kids home. Uh, Menards just kicked in the uh, all shoppers must wear masks now. Oh, good for uh, them. So, so Honestly, they're good for them. Yeah, you know they should do that. I mean, that's a family-owned business. I get it. Yep. And you know, a poor Lowe's worker in Michigan, uh, you know, passed away with COVID. Yep. And oh, it's just I, I saw all those people, and and you're right. There were there were employees not wearing masks. There were People towing kids and not just one kid like, okay, I got to bring this kid. I'm going to go in and get, you know, whatever. There was people with kids. I mean, just the whole family. <laughs> Let's go get some paint. <laughs> it, t- it turned into a, it's turned into family outings and yeah. we need to be careful. We that. do. Everybody stay home. Two more weeks. All right, Kevin, you, All right. I got to get on to you because you have started a hornet's nest in the <laughs> homeservershow.com reset forums. And uh, it's not your fault, though. Uh, but it's it's why I got you here today. You started, uh, this was back on April 15th, and there was pretty much breaking news about that time. And I think, did this break on Reddit? And I'll ask you that question, but I'm going to go ahead and give the folks the subject of the podcast. And that is, um, we're going to talk about hard drives. And we're going to talk about Spinners, hard drives with platters, y'all. We're going back a few years. And we're going to be talking about Western Digital basically getting kind of caught red-handed, red, no pun intended, by <laughs> using SMR drives. So, Kevin, I'll get a – I may just be quiet for a little while, and I'll get you to tell me, you know, kind of how it broke and maybe maybe back me up with a little bit of – knowledge if someone really doesn't know what an smr drive is compared to others and how how we can uh then we'll go forward kind of i'll i'll hit you with some questions Sure. So, um, so I got flagged on this on probably April fourteenth. Uh, one of my best friends used to work at Western Digital. He's oh, since retired. Right. I remember so, that. Yeah. So he he uh, um, keeps up to date on this stuff. And I think it was either a Facebook or a Twitter post from him uh, was referencing this article uh, written by uh, Chris Meller uh, from the website uh, Block uh, Blocks and Files. Blocks and um, files. Um, a lot of good information there. And and pretty much everything we're going to talk about today. I I've tried to seed um, the home server show forum, the the post that I, I first posted this under, with lots of other good information around this stuff. So um, what what he was coming to find is it, it's kind of one of those articles that I read and I was kind of like, I knew it, I knew it, <laughs> I, I I knew you guys were up to something. Yeah. Um, and and literally, so there are different recording technologies out there uh, of of the way 
disk drives record on the media. One of them is um, shingled magnetic recording, SMR. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, it, I, I just uh, shared a link to a paper on uh, on the forum uh, from Toshiba from quite a few years ago explaining in very detail. So if you really want to get deep in this uh, of what SMR, uh, SMR is, this explains it. Um, the the good side of so what SMR is is a way to pack more density onto platters and uh, as as we get disk drive platters we talk about things like aerial density and that's how much data can be stored and that varies by the quality of the platter it varies by the types of heads you're using as heads have gotten better over the years for writing data that's gotten better but this was a change of going from the traditional way that disk drives wrote to platters to this shingled method method where uh, they're they're much tighter packed and much denser packed. Um, So why don't we do that all the time? Seems like a great idea. Uh, The problem is write speeds drop pretty rapidly. And the drives actually react to writing quite differently than a traditional drive. If you go back to when uh, drive manufacturers first started introducing shingled uh, recording, um, they actually had separate part numbers for it. So if you remember, the archival drives from Western Digital were the purple drives. And uh, Seagate had their surveillance family of drives. And uh, these were, drives were aimed at that video surveillance, video recording kind of market. Even though we kind of think of video as being, uh, you know, uh, something that is uh, dense and has some pretty heavy recording parameters, these drives work great for that. You're just streaming data to them, and they're writing it as they, you know, see it come in, and you can control the level that they're written at. Um, a lot of the enterprise vendors dabbled in some of these uh, archival drives um, in specialty products. They didn't put them in, you know, big enterprise RAID arrays. They put them into some of these systems that you would write data to and then turn off the drives. Right. So it, it was a it was it was interesting that the the industry made it a point of telling you this technology is different. Here's the issues with it, and here's the positives of it. And they had them listed as separate part numbers. And so it's funny that I, I remember, and I think you will too, that the forums went through that phase, right? The drives yep. come out, people talk about it. It's like, okay, these are archival drives, and everybody just puts it in your head, like, okay, I, I do not want to stick that drive in my NAS or in my my RAID RAID array. And yep. we went through that little phase, and we kind of moved on. But mm-hmm. it sounds like some of these drive companies kind of went, hmm. So, uh, so what this announcement was, or what this article was about, was the realization um, some people were noticing that smaller Western digital drives of a certain part number, um, two, four, and six terabyte drives, were be- were be- behaving differently than other red drives they had used, and if you've played with SMR drives you'll note, uh, especially, you probably won't see much difference in them unless you're using them in a RAID array. And by RAID array, I'd be looking at like a RAID 5 or a RAID 6 or, you know, maybe a big ZFS uh, type of cluster, Mm -hmm. um, something that's 
writing to different drives in different fashions and especially when people started doing rebuilds of drives and i distinctly i I, i'm almost betting if we went through the home server website we would find a complaint or two from somebody saying hey i replaced a western digital red and it's taken over a week for this thing to uh rebuild the raid set yeah shouldn't shouldn't it take a day yeah i've i think i've even done that kevin i've got i got Probably I probably have a stack at least a foot and a half high of WD Reds that you know I've pulled out of service just because they're old and I've kind yep. of refreshed my hard drives. But um, I, so I absolutely it, remember some of those posts. Oh, absolutely. So these guys dug in a little deeper, and what they found through some heavier testing was um, to go back to WD and say, "Hey, I have this model number, this capacity of drive." And it is pretty obvious to me this thing is behaving like an SMR drive. Is this an SMR drive? And ultimately, um, WD admitted that, um, and there is a little clip. I'll, I'll make sure to get this in the, the uh, home server website as well. They've shown now where um, the, the 2, 4, and 6 gig current model, 2, 4, 6 terabyte current models of the traditional red drive are SMR drives. Um, Some of the desktop drives that are blue drives uh, are SMR. Um, At the same time, Seagate and Toshiba mentioned, uh, announced or mentioned, yes, we are shipping some drives that use SMR as well. But the interesting thing for Seagate and Toshiba, they made a point of stating that any drive that they considered a NAS or RAID drive did not use SMR. Interesting. So, and you know, something to what you you mentioned a very good point is we as a as an uh, as a group an industry whatever you want to call us. Um, when SMR first came out, you're right. We digested it. Okay, here's a red drive. That's a NAS drive. Here's a purple drive from WD. That's an archive drive. I know the use cases for each. Western Digital built a brand with folks like us and small businesses up into the enterprise that red drives were NAS drives. Yeah. Red red drives were RAID drives. Yes. And now all of a sudden they've embedded, they've started using technology in those drives that would make them not the right drive to use for NAS or RAID. Correct. And you know the the most disturbing thing that I I see that they they've done, and I, I'm going to say it, it's disturbing because I have actually purchased one of these, being kind of fooled, thinking that it was, you know, a better hard drive, an enterprise mm-hmm. drive was there. Yep. Two and a half inch WD blacks. When you say WD black, you mean that that's like an upper end desktop drive. Yep. You could buy a blue and it would be just fine. In fact, most PCs that come out today probably have a WD blue in it. But you say black and it's like, okay, well, that's a, that's a business drive. That's, that goes in a desktop that's for a worker. And lo and behold, their two and a half inch one terabyte blacks are SMRs. And, <laughs> and not only that, but they Oh, I No, they're all their all their purples are CMRs now. Mhm. So all their archive drives are now conventional media recording drives, which that it kind of flip-flop from when I don't know when that happened or when they switched from SMR to CMR on their purples, 
But that's I I find that also just a little a little odd. I don't know why we would make that decision, WD. So my hard to say. Uh, my buddy who worked at WD had mentioned that, and um, uh, the the focus of those was on the enterprise, and the enterprise quickly found that an archival drive, in ter- from an enterprise point of view, um, SMR was not great for that. So it was more of the use case flopped from that point of view. Um, and you, you know, I, I, I agree with you. And, and I guess where I've been concerned about this is it, we're getting into some of the terminology aspects of, well, what is NAS and what is RAID? And if you remember back a few years ago when RAID 5, we we talked about RAID 5 all the time, RAID 6, um, you know, the, the types of RAID, uh, RAID 1 mirroring versus RAID 5 and RAID 6, you know, where's the best use case for these things? And we used to get in this whole discussion about, um, don't, don't know if you recall, T-L-E-R, you know, time-limited error recovery. If you were running RAID 5 or RAID 6, you wanted to make sure the drives you were using supported that. And that's where we started heading down the route of identifying drives like REDs or, you know, whatever your favorite Seagate was, making sure that drive supported that. And people talked about it from the point of view of, well, if you're doing RAID, you got to have, you know, TLER. Well, if you're doing RAID 1, you actually really didn't need it. But we all, once again, to your point from before, we had a discussion about it. You know, the, the, we, we identified that, hey, if you're running RAID 5 or RAID 6, those are parity-based systems that spread data across multiple drives. And you can't have a drive that's sitting around trying to recover from errors. You need a drive that recovers quickly. You want TLER. Oh, you're running RAID 1? Hey, you know what? RAID 1 really isn't a striping type of technology. It's just a mirroring type of technology. You don't have to worry about these things. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, Western Digital obviously went out of their way. Uh, Good point about the blacks. You know, anybody who's ever used black uh, WD drives knows they're higher-end drives. They've always been higher-end drives. I think it was kind of telling a few years ago, and in hindsight now, it should have been more of a question for those of us in this kind of industry when wd brought out the red pro you know at first it was just viewed as being a faster drive but now wd has 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 said oh well red pros uh no smr there right so if you if you're using red pros you're fine it's just the regular reds and only regular reds in a certain capacity correct yeah you know and the other disturbing thing with that is you know, Synology, I'm just going to bring them up as a, a NAS vendor, and I, I, I'm pretty sure QNAP did it too, but I think QNAP, I can't remember what, what drives they were using and when, but they they would pre-build NASs with drives, and Synology went through many, many years as a, a partner with Western Digital, and they would pre-populate with Reds, and they would pre-populate with you know, this is going back a little while, guys. I know we're at some big capacities now, but WD one terabyte reds. And then, so you you take a NAS or you build one yourself. You buy four or five one terabyte uh, red drives like you're supposed to. You're supposed to buy the reds. You paid extra money. You get a good drive. But now you want to increase your hard drive size. Now maybe you buy a two terabyte or a three terabyte. So now... In your RAID array, you're going to start mixing your mm. media types. And I, I don't know if that's the correct word to 
for SMR and CMR to, to say, you know, the, the way that it actually writes. Um, but now you're going to throw in, so one terabyte and lower reds were CMR, conventional media uh, recording. I think it's recording. Yep. Uh, and then you go into, what is it, two to six terabyte drives yep. are SMR <laughs> shingled. So you stick a little shingled in there because maybe you're getting some blocks going bad. Or, or something, whatever reason, and yeah, raids raids don't rebuild. Raids have errors. Raids have just you know, enormous write times with that mixed media. Mm-hmm. And I try to think back to folks that maybe had done that, and I wish we would have been. I wish we would have known more or been more aware, you know, to provide better help. That you know, some folks may have run into that problem, and mm-hmm. I I can't say that. I didn't rebuild a raid using that technology, you know, using those drives. And it, it confuses me to think back through all these hard drives. But, and did I have any trouble? I can't remember now, Kevin. It, yep. it, it baffles me, but there's, I know that there's been some issues with folks mixing these media types. There has to right. have been. Oh, absolutely. And and I think, you know, at the end of the day, to me with this, it's it's about transparency and, and awareness is, uh, as we say, the, the industry went through explaining to us the difference in them. And now WD, unfortunately, went down the path of hiding where they were using it. Um, I, I had an experience a few years ago, just from a testing point of view, um, uh, Seagate uh, is, and I think Toshiba perhaps, but I know Seagate still builds a two and a half inch, 15 millimeter drive. So a thick two and a half inch drive that is five terabyte. So, you know, high capacity That's for a, for a little form factor yeah. drive. Um, th- there was a four terabyte version, a three terabyte version. The five is the latest. The five is probably considered to be the best out of all those. Um, the, and people were talking about use cases with those. And it became very evident that even though the initial spec sheet on that was a little vague about what the recording technology was, um, it uh, I believe it was pretty well identified that that form factor and size was used by a lot of uh, video recording people. So TiVo was one of the OEMs for, for that drive. I ended up picking up uh, four of the, the – just to do some testing, I picked up four of the four terabyte drives. Uh, because it'd be kind of cool to have 16 terabyte in a five and a quarter inch tray. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did a little raid testing and found pretty much exactly what I expected for a SMR type of drive, that the writes were awful. Uh, the performance fell off rather rapidly. But I also did a little testing with it from a using drive pool and a couple of the different pooling technologies uh, of just being able to go in and flag, uh, you want redundancy, you know, copy this to different drives, those types of things. And you're not the fastest drives in the world, but I really didn't see any issues with that. So once again, you know, I, I think I'd made a couple of posts on a couple of different sites to say, yeah, I really wouldn't recommend using these four terabyte Seagate um, two and a half inch, 15 millimeter drives in a RAID 5. But if you're just looking for capacity and you're just looking for drive pooling and you're supporting three, two, one backup strategy where you have multiple copies of your data, I don't really see any issue with these. So that's where I get to the an informed consumer who knows what they are getting 
and knows what they have um, can be, you know, they can be fine technology to use. I think the other argument in that case, and the reason I bring it up is I believe a lot of those drives, those Seagates I was playing with, um, I I think they were still considered part of the Barracuda family. So once again, we get back to the brand recognition side is Barracuda was always known as the faster, better drive uh, until they you know, had some issues of their own. But it's that perception you have that a Western Digital Red is this, yeah. a Seagate Barracuda is this. And I think that's where the vendors really do themselves a disservice by you know, not telling you that it's different. Very true. I mean, it's a, it's a good point because... W yes, WD Reds had that. I don't. I don't know. It's it's a NAS drive, right? And mm-hmm. I'm I'm not here saying that SMR is a bad technology. It's actually a really good technology. And as long as it's labeled and, you, and like you said, you know, buyer beware, not necessarily, but you know, be informed that this is an SMR drive. You're going to get more capacity, but perhaps you should get a lower price. But that didn't happen either. Mm-hmm. They labeled WD Reds as you know NAS and RAID drives, and they were they always cost more. I always remember that in my shopping, WD Reds were always more, and not knowing it was a different technology and a slower write speed and a different way to stack. I'm thinking that maybe they should have been a little more upfront, and it should mm-hmm. have been priced accordingly. Perhaps, and now I yep. don't. I don't recall, and maybe you do. When they came out and said this is a Red Pro, I don't remember if they ratcheted the price up at that point either. So I don't. Uh, I don't remember. Yeah, pro, pros were definitely a, a price uh, premium to to move up to the Pro. But yeah, I, I don't recall the Reds really ever dropping in price, but. You know, you also look at, you know, I think uh, greens were always the entry-level drive and, you know, people had had a a love-hate relationship with those and then greens kind of disappeared. And, you know, so so red kind of became the lower end of the spectrum. Blues blues and blacks were desktops and reds were raid and NAS. Exactly. And And green, you knew what you were buying. Yes. You absolutely knew this is going to be 5,400 RPM and it's a one terabyte or a two terabyte and you knew what you were getting. And it was actually, it was, they got down to like 80 bucks. You could buy a two terabyte green for 80 bucks. You knew what you were getting. No, they, they, they definitely, you know, and I I think that's the big thing is, um, uh, understanding what you're getting and what your, what the use case is, um, the the other area on this branding thing that I'd be interesting to, to, interested to see um, is kind of a, you know the whole other topic area of uh, buying external USB drives when they go on you know low discount price but, you know Best Buy seems to be the spot that uh, ends up with uh, 10 12 14 terabyte drives at uh, you know, the sweet spot seems to be about $15 a terabyte it sends people buying them and people shuck them and use them in their storage arrays. The thing I always caution, I've always cautioned people on that is people shuck those drives and they look at them and they go, oh, it's a red. 
or for a while there, it, oh, it's a, it's a, uh, Hitachi, uh, helium drive. And my, my concern was always that might be what the label says. But once again, from my buddy that worked at WD, um, that drive probably didn't pass the spec to be sold as a red or a Hitachi helium. So the firmware was down revved. So I have no proof, but it would not surprise me that, you know, if I'm going to put shingle drives to save money elsewhere, is it probably not likely that a lot of those shucked drives are shingle drives? You know, I, I think, I think if I had shucked a bunch of drives, I would be watching my performance, looking at, you know, what's going on with those drives um, and, and just, you know, see where things are at. Yeah. Yeah. We, we come from a long line of shuckers. Homeservershow.com <laughs> <laughs> uh, forums. We, we've done our share of shucking. Yes, sir. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've, I've built, I've, I think I built a stable bit drive pool with greens at one mm-hmm. point, just a big stack of greens and just, just tore right through it. Didn't even really care. It's like, I, it's green. I know it is, but it still works. It's, I just need mass storage. Yep. So, and, and I think that that's once again, as we process and go through this stuff, a lot of us in this end of the, uh, the market, you know, the home server, the home storage, the small to medium business aspect of things, we always tout and embrace the three, two, one, you know, three copies of your data, at least two different media and, uh, you know, one copy offsite. You know, you'll see it to this day on the, uh, you know, the forums when somebody's talking about moving something and if I'm helping them with, I'm, I'm sure people get sick of it, but I always start with, well, hey, before you move that RAID set, do you have a clean backup? Because there's no guarantees. And I think that's one of the, uh, the concerns with this too is that others have brought up as well is when you sell RAIDs like this with a certain perception of what they are, you've kind of almost... I don't want to say trapped people, but if I, you know, if I had a, uh, uh, a Synology NAS loaded up with these guys right now, and I'm not a very techie user, I'm almost on a little bit of a ticking time bomb kind of deal is how do I migrate off this? Do I worry about this? Do I, you know, get over to something else that's safer because uh, it gets back to what's, what's being stored there. So if, if it was all, if it was a library of ripped DVDs, and it all died, you still got the DVDs. It would be, you know, your waste of time to reload them again. But if that's all your family memories, your family's pictures and things that are not replaceable, uh, and you went with a NAS to protect it and take care of it, and now you're coming to find that the drives you used aren't what you thought they were, I'd be pretty angry. Yeah. Um, I recall a podcast not too Far, I mean, we're talking a month ago, a fairly, fairly popular podcast, a guy by the name of Casey Liss, uh, ATP, ATP.FM. He has a Synology NASC. It's an 8-bay. He had a failing drive. And instead of verifying everything, I mean, at that point right there, you know you, you, know you got a failing drive. You know I've got to take some steps to remedy this. The first thing you do is, where's my data? Right. Mm-hmm. Let's get it backed up. Even if you just have to buy, 
a ginormous external hard drive or two. Get it copied, right? Get it copied. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that, and instead of verifying his backups, instead of verifying his cloud backups of his photos, he he kind of said on the podcast, well, I think it's all been backed up. What he did is he yanked, a, he yanked the bad drive, stuck in a new drive, and said rebuild. And what happened is, and what generally happens in these cases where you have a NAS that is, I mean, this NAS had to be seven years old. You got one drive going bad. Well, guess what? It shipped the same day as those other hard drives <laughs> right beside it. And now you're telling it to rebuild. You're telling it to rebuild a RAID array, which yep. is is extremely I don't I don't even know how to say it, Kevin. It's it tasks those other oh, drives tremendously. You, absolutely. And it died. The rebuild wow. died. Wow. And he, he said on the podcast, he was in tears. He was in tears because he didn't do, you know, what he should have done at that point. And I, I kind of think back into all of my NAS swaps, and I did one maybe a year ago. I went from a four bay, I, I swapped into a five bay. That's when I went from uh, the Reds to uh, Seagates. Mm-hmm. I'm a Seagate guy now. <laughs> I know it's, a, it's kind of a Ford Chevy thing. Oh yeah, uh, you know, and every drive manufacturer has, you know, I don't want to say it mean, but screwed somebody, right? Oh yeah, you've been, you've had a failed hard drive. You think, oh, I hate Western Digital, you know, but it, it is oh, what it is. From people I know in the drive industry, um, they seldom attack each other because they all know that they've had their issue in the past, and right. they know they're going to have issues in the future. Um, yeah, why throw a hard drive in a in a glass house, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> it's going to break. You know, and we, so we, uh, you look over time, I think a lot of people go back and read articles on Home Server Show where I did a lot of work around micro server Gen 8 was, you know, we all raved about grabbing a P410 or a P420 or a P222 HP RAID controller. You had four drives in there. RAID 5 worked great. You got great performance out of it. You got a little bit of fault tolerance. At least you could maintain one drive failure. But the problem with RAID 5 is exactly what you just said. RAID 5 or RAID 6, any of the parity-based RAIDs, is the data spread across all the drives mixed in with parity. And uh, at least with RAID 6, you can you can handle two failures. Mm-hmm. But when you go to rebuild, it thrashes that array. It, it, it isn't just copying the data back to the one drive you put in. It's got to resync that array across all those drives. Um, back to my buddy from WD, when he left, uh, they were starting to see a lot more multiple drive failures during raid rebuild and it's it, there there's a couple I'll try and find one uh, that did a good job of it but it's a mathematical thing is the capacity of the drive versus the time it takes to rebuild versus uh, you know the the number of drives you have in the array so Back when we were running one and two terabyte drives, it wasn't a big deal. But the math started playing out that when you started getting into four and six terabyte drives, the extra load on these drives and you know was was becoming problematic. You start hitting uh, you know 
and of course I'm talking about non-enterprise storage arrays, but you start heading into 10, 12, 14 terabyte drives, uh, doing a, a RAID 5 rebuild is is rough on those drives. It's time consuming and it's a lot of reading and writing and thrashing and parity calculation. And there's a lot of stuff going on there. So, uh, you know, that's why RAID 1, uh, RAID 10, you know, some of the, you know, the drive pools, the ZFS uh, types of things have become more prevalent because frankly, there's less, uh, less wear and tear on the drives. It's less, uh, less impact. Yeah, for sure. And I even remember, and I just shudder thinking about this now, um, reading and quite possibly even advocating. I hope that I didn't very much doing the drive pull, you know, sticking in a larger one, Mm -hmm. rebuild, pulling the small one, sticking in the large. You could technically do that until you have all big drives. You know, you've done the swap. And... I know a lot of folks advocated that method versus the copy off. Yep. Meaning, you know, just dump everything off, get it onto a separate machine or system, and then rebuild the array and then copy back. There's a yes, there's a lot of room for error. So I kind of in what I've been doing and what I did last year is I did the double copy, right? So I made sure it was in two different places in in my house itself and my uber most important was up in the cloud copy it off somewhere whether it was amazon or OneDrive. those are kind of my two flavors of uh backups and then did you know tore tore down the raid and then rebuilt it Mm -hmm. so i I definitely would change my advocacy to that i i don't know what you feel about the copy off i do know that there's room for error there is room for error, and and you know that's one that, that's we could do a whole other show about right. uh, and uh, backup strategies. Uh, I've never had a problem with like documents. I every time I get a new computer, I archive my my documents folder and roll it, and I I do regular backups anyway. The area where I have the worst con- second guessing myself and concerns is pictures. Because, you know, all my pictures for years on all phones in this house pushed to OneDrive. Now I've tended to use Google for pushing to. Um, we do backups on PCs. So I kind of, you know, it was kind of like, well, wait a minute. You know, OneDrive's getting full of pictures. I should really pull those out and store them permanently someplace and i've just always questioned well where are all our pictures so i've been in a little bit of a project on one of my storage arrays just doing taking every picture from every backup every device every you know before i get rid of a phone i copy all the pictures off the phone physically and to your point about just going out and grabbing a big drive um, i'm doing it in an array but i i now have um I can probably find every picture I have because they're all backed up in one array, but I have a separate array where it, there's just a big folder full of full of pictures. Yeah. It's just raw picture, and I'm always looking for a better way to manage pictures and where they are. But I, I started realizing as I you know over the years. My wife's laptop has, uh, you know, served her well. She likes it. She doesn't like change. But I've 
swapped the SSD out of there several times. Mm -hmm. As I was cleaning up those SSDs to repurpose them for other things, I thought, you know, instead of just wiping this drive, I'm going to grab the picture area off it and put it in that pool. So I probably have multiple copies of the same picture, but when I can go to Best Buy and buy a 10 terabyte external drive for 150 bucks as having another place to put stuff, I'm okay with that, mm-hmm. you know. And and frankly, one of the things I'm re re uh, working is uh, you remember our old friends at I/O Safe. I I have a two Absolutely. drive I/O Safe. I uh, I just got done putting um, uh, eight terabyte Seagates in that uh, um, Iron Wolves, and I'm, I've redone that, cleaned it all up, brought it all up to latest code and everything. And that's uh, going to be my, my, one of my points of archiving things that okay. like pictures, things that are irreplaceable. Is that one of those uh, fireproof, waterproof? Yep. Okay. Yep. Is it's that the, the Synology based one of the original? Yep. Okay. Yep. Those are fantastic. It, 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 it is the, it is the original from the, uh, um, I can't remember if they did a, uh, a fund me, uh, um, yeah, what the original how they launched that one? I yeah. do remember, you know, taking a look at it. Yep. Absolutely, it was ginormously heavy. I still have <laughs> one of the old externals that we yep. got way back in the day. Um, you know, the president mailed it to me after I burned his first one <laughs> without asking. Oh, that was that's a whole different story. But you know what I've done is I try to, I try to have changed to the mentality of don't be cheap. Back in the day when we first started, we were, you know, all struggling to get the best bang for the buck on our arrays, our hard drives, our online space, which was expensive back then, mm-hmm. is don't be cheap. So what what I've started doing is if I migrate from one system to another, I try not to what I call burn it down. I'll take the stack out after I've done all my copies. I'll take the stack out and physically stack it on a shelf and it'll sit there maybe for a year or two years. If anything were to go wrong, I can mm-hmm. always take that stack and put it right back in. And case in point, I, I don't know if you remember this conversation, but I burned down my, well, I didn't burn it down, my Windows Home Server 2011 server. I migrated that over to a Windows server and used StableBit DrivePool. And I was migrating from that to a Synology NAS. And instead of burning down that array, I took it, I stacked it on the shelf. Mm -hmm. Well, at some point in time, I came and I pulled one of those drives out and moved it somewhere. I don't know if I used it or didn't use it, but I moved it somewhere and didn't maybe I did use it to transfer something or something like that. And then another year went by and there was a a, bi- a very large chunk of 2009 photos missing. Hmm. The wife was trying to make a baby book. And she's like, "Where's the pictures of Maxwell's, you know, first birthday or something like that?" I'm like, "It's on the server." You know, I've showed this to you a hundred times. I, why do I need to show you again? And I go over there and click. And I'm like, Jesus, it is not here. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's when you go to your office and you just lock yourself in. And you're like, okay, let's start backtracking. Yep. 
and it was nowhere to be found online, OneDrive, no, it, nowhere. And I looked up and I saw that stack of hard drives. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope I can rebuild that. And I ended up having to dig around and find that other drive that wandered off. And I built a Windows 10 machine. I stuck all the drives in and just through SATA, just stuck them into a SATA port. And I installed StableBit Drive Pool. And it's like, hey, we see a drive pool over here. Would you like to load that up? And I'm like, yes, please <laughs> load that up. And it did. And my my directory structure just came into sight. And I went to 2009 and ding, there they were. And mm-hmm. what got me was we were screwing around back on Windows Home Server 2011 with symbolic links. I know once you oh, say that word, I think yes. everybody's been burned by it one way or another. Mm-hmm. There was a symbolic link hidden in there for me to use copy.com as a backup target. Remember, yep. we were getting all that free drive space from copy.com, and I was using symbolic links. I probably have a blog post about it, and it burnt me, Kevin, because I think I probably did a delete and a symbolic link went out there and poof, gone. Yep. So that oh, yeah. big long story just to say never burn down your array. Set it yep. aside. You never know when you're going to need it. And don't cheap out. Buy the hard drives. Just buy the hard drives. Yep. I think there's a lot of, a lot of merit in that. And I think, um, you know, the, 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 especially the cheap out kind of factor is um, I kind of go back and forth on yeah, so three, two, one kind of logic, but also I, I try to encourage people to look at things from the point of view of data that can't be replaced versus data that can be replaced. Um, and I think, you know, for pictures are to me the biggest one that can't be replaced. So I almost, and I, and I, I know it's easy to say, but uh, that's why I've kind of segmented those off on separate storage devices or different multiple storage devices. And, and I get it. I have space to do that in my basement. I, this is a hobby. So, um, it, it's a little bit of that argument between, well, I just want one backup strategy. So I'm going to put all my stuff in one kind of a system. Um, from, I get that. That's easy to manage. You could do that through like multiple pools. Um, I've been playing with Unraid a lot lately, and I think there's some cool things you can do with that. But in some ways, I kind of come back to it's kind of nice having all the irreplaceable stuff on one device. It's kind of nice to have the recorded video, TV, movie, ripped movie kind of stuff, if you're into that kind of thing, over on another device. Um, and, and that way, you, know, you, can, you can gauge your backup strategy. You can gauge your migration strategy as well. Is if you want to migrate, you don't have to migrate the whole thing. You can pick out, hey, the, the storage, I'm, I'm concerned about the storage that I'm storing my movies on. I'm going to pick up that, it's been five years, I'm going to pick up a new Synology NAS I'm going to load it up with brand new hard drives and I'm going to copy that data over. And to your point, I'm probably just going to park that old Synology NAS and leave it. I know I should probably sell it. Park is a great word. Yep. I'm going to park it and leave it. Because it pains me. I see like I have a two bay DS something, DS2 something. 
And I'm like, I really don't need that anymore. You know, but I am doing that copy from my main one to the little two bay one. Do I need that anymore? Because what I'm thinking, Kevin, I see money signs. I see dollar yep. signs. Yep. I see that could go to eBay. But like you, like you said, park it. Don't burn it down. So my main NAS, I have a copy every night. It goes to that little two bay. And just copies everything. Make Just stay in sync. Keep everything in sync. My biggest fear is someone coming into this house and seeing that large black box and, th- and thinking, hey, that looks expensive. Maybe I can sell that and taking yep. it, right? No, that's and, – and that's why at the end of the day, whether it's theft or fire or whatever, you, you know, you, you do have to have multiple copies in multiple places. So, yeah. no, absolutely. And I have gotten into the um, – the habit of taking those old drives once once they're cleared they're off an array they're they're just sitting there doing nothing i mean two terabytes is still a large amount of space mm-hmm. yep just plug it into a, a cradle and drop my pictures on it or drop my home video i have one that's just dvds rip dvds and yep. so there's another shelf in my office with a stack of drives there's a sticky note on it, it says <laughs> december 2019 DVD rips. So I know, like, okay, maybe December 2020, I need to refresh that and, you know, put the new rips on it or, you know, whatever it is, new pictures. So, well, Kevin, I hate to burn this array down, but I think we need, <laughs> we need to get it going. Thank you so much for explaining CMR and, and SMR to me. And um, I want to just encourage everyone. Uh, Kevin is reachable. This guy is so full of knowledge. Um, I've known you. We first met physically in Vegas. Yes. At a, yeah. At a, at a CES. And that was yes, one of my most funnest CESs because I, guys, I thought I was the reporter. I was the, the cool podcaster. And then Kevin and I started talking. And then we go around to a couple of booths. And Kevin starts, like, we went to the Intel booth. Kevin starts asking some questions. And I'm like, Oh, I, I'm just going to stick my mic over here and record this because Kevin is so smart, y'all, that, uh, that there's a lot of knowledge from this man to be had. And he, we're lucky to have him in the homeservershow.com uh, forums. And, and I thank you for that, Kevin. Absolutely. You've been a resource over the decade, honestly. Um, just, just a beautiful resource of knowledge. So I thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's fun, uh, fun place to help people out. Yes, it is. It very well is. Except it seems to be the microserver forums. I need to rename it. <laughs> and it's all your fault. Again, all your fault. All right, guys, that's going to do it for Reset. Thanks for coming around. Uh, don't forget that uh, that YouTube channel, youtube.com slash David McCabe. And uh, Scoot, where can, uh, where can we find you out there on the Twitter sphere and, and things? Uh, Twitter is... Boy, I always need to be prepared for this. Well, uh, Schoon1979 at, uh, on Twitter. Okay. And you can always find me in the forums as Schoon Doggy. Right. And uh, just uh, try to be as easy to get a hold of as possible. Search for a Schoon. Anywhere you can find me, you can find some, some type of Schoon out there. All right, guys, that's Reset. Thanks for coming. This has been Reset can be found at reset.fm or over on YouTube at youtube.com slash David McCabe. Follow on Twitter at McCabe.io and you can discuss this episode and more 
on Reset Forums. ResetForums.com Intro and outro music is by Daryl Lee. Find it at SoundCloud.com Daryl Music. That's D-E-R-L-E-E Music. Support of this podcast can be done at Patreon. Patreon.com slash David McKay. There's also some shopping links at ResetForums.com if you want to use those. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you next week on Reset.